What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's uh, Twitter Tuesday here on this podcast. And once again, you guys filled it up with some outstanding talking points to get into. Uh, loaded show for you today. A lot of good stuff. So let's get right into it. The first one today comes from Randall, who says, You've talked a lot about time on task and the importance of reps for this offensive group, especially Allen. Is there any benefit to starting Allen for the Jets game, even if just for a half? Uh, appreciate the question. I don't think so. I think at this point in the season that the opportunity for time on task and reps, um, that that time's gone. And, and for me, the potential of losing Josh Allen to an injury for playing him against the Jets for any amount of time and not having him for the playoffs is not a risk that I'm willing to take given that it's week 17. So when I talk about time on task and reps together, the, the, what, I, what I'm really referring to is just that this is a new group on offense and how much install time they missed over the summer because so many guys were hurt. Um, and I just don't know that the you know probably 25 or 30 snaps that Josh would get in a half of football against the Jets is going to move the needle enough for me to forget about the injury concern that comes with that. So um, I appreciate the angle there, but I will say sit Josh Allen against the Jets. McLennan says, uh, why is it that the Bills are so bad at running screen passes? Is it play design or execution? You know, I I wish I had an easy answer here because this is something that I struggle to understand myself. You know, there's certain teams that are just very good at running screens, and there's some teams that are just bad. And the Bills are a team that are bad at running screens. And I know it's frustrating because we watch opponents against a really good defense like the Bills be very successful running screen plays. And you feel like they're just such easy opportunities, such simple concepts to get yards, chunks of yards. And the Bills don't do it well. Um, you know, obviously it's predicated on the offensive line selling the the pass sets so that the defensive linemen get up the field. It's leaking that running back out at the right time and not getting any tips to the linebackers and, you know, the quarterback trying to manipulate the defense with where his eyes are and where uh, his body's aligned and then kind of working to the screen. So there's a lot of pieces to it, just like every play in football. But, I, I mean, I'm thinking through my head, and I can remember like two good screen plays the Bills have run this year and the rest have just been really a wasted down. And so it's it's disappointing, but I think that should be something that hopefully the Bills can get right in the offseason. I don't, I don't think it's that they don't have the people to do it, right? Like Devin Singletary should be a good screen back. They have mobile offensive linemen. I, they've got to figure that out because that's a missing piece of the offense that could make it better. Uh, Charlie Gross, and I'm going to combine this with one from Scarecrow Boat. Uh, Charlie says, I was really confused by the Bills seemingly going with a get pressure with four approach when Brady's numbers while being blitzed are horrible. Uh, Scarecrow Boat says, it felt like our defensive scheme was extremely vanilla. We've been an aggressive pressure defense for weeks until yesterday. Do you think it's possible we went vanilla on purpose knowing that this game was likely meaningless? Well, uh, so the, got the numbers on the game now, and the Bills blitz Tom Brady on nine of his 25 dropbacks. So that's 26%, 27% of uh, the dropbacks Tom Brady had. The Bills sent uh, a blitz. 
their season average is 31.5%. So pretty close to the normal amount of blitzing that the Bills run. I just don't think the Bills were very effective with beating blocks. And, you know, the thing about blitzes, blitzes aren't designed to get somebody free to have a free shot at the quarterback. Sometimes they are if you overload and you put, you know, more guys than they can block and you got a math problem, then sure, yeah, you can get a free rusher. But the reality is blitzes are designed to get a player in a favorable one-on-one matchup where they still have to win and beat a block. The Patriots blocked well. They picked it up well. And Tom Brady, on the nine times that the Bills blitzed him, he completed eight passes. So he was beating the blitz. I mean, you can't just keep sending the blitz if if Tom Brady's beating it, right? He had answers. He knew where they were. And he was finding simple completions. Again, eight of nine completions on the eight times the Bills blitzed him. So it was a calculated risk there that the Bills had, and Brady was beating it. The Bills weren't getting home. I don't think they were any less aggressive than they've been. It just wasn't working. Brady got the ball out. The offensive line picked up the blitz. Next one here comes from Vin, who says, "Uh, Joe, I'm so tired of losing to that team. No more moral victories. Do you believe there's any truth to the theory about it being hard to beat a team three times in one season. My biggest disappointment was the defense tackling so poorly. That at least sounds correctable. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's hard to beat a team twice in a season, let alone three times. Um, Patriots did it this year. Again, they beat the Bills twice. And, and so the Bills, I think, played a much cleaner game on offense against them the second time. But defensively, the, the, the Patriots were able to outplay the Bills. And... Um, you know, so here's the deal, like missed tackles have been a problem this year. And it's not something we've talked enough about on this podcast against the Patriots. The bills had 16 missed tackles, 16 missed tackles in one football game against the Patriots. So we talk about blocking and tackling football is at the end of the day, it's, it's a complicated game. It seems, but it's so simple. It really does come down to blocking and tackling. And the bills did not do that anywhere near to the level that the New England Patriots did on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, the, the 16, 16 versus the Pats, the, the Bills have missed 124 tackles on the season. Uh, looking at the top five missed tackle teams, missed tackle defenses on the year, the Bills are number two in the league. The Cardinals have 128. They're at one. The, pay, the, the Bills are number two at 124. Then it's the Browns, Jaguars, and Lions that round out the top five. Well, what do you know about four of those five teams? They're bad, right? Like the Cardinals, Browns, Jaguars, and Lions are not good football teams. Those are all teams that are going to be picking like in the top 10 of the draft. Maybe the Browns might be like 12. It's remarkable that the Bills have the 10-5 and record that they do and have been such a bad tackling defense all year. Uh, By comparison, the Bills have 124 tackles missed on the season. The New England Patriots have 60. Three. Half, basically. Next one here comes from Matt, who says, do you think Josh's problem with the deep ball has been him overthinking it? The throw to smoke kind of showed me that if he chucks it without worrying too much, it seems to be more on target. Well, a couple thoughts on that, Matt. I think, first of all, one thing that can really help Josh with the deep ball, outside of just more time together with the targets and, and you know, be getting that chemistry down is like a lot of times his deep throws are not very well arced. They're very much on a line. 
And what that does is it takes away from the receiver's opportunity to adjust to the football. And so I think getting more arc on those deep throws is going to be important for him to allow those receivers to settle under it, track it, adjust it, uh, as opposed to kind of putting it more on a straight line, which really really creates a, a difficult scenario. You really have to be very pinpoint with that placement. So he could do himself some favors by getting a little bit more arc on those throws. Secondly, I mean, Josh Allen is a human being, and we've all been through things in our lives where we've struggled with things, right? And because you struggle with them, you're pressing. It's on your mind. You know it. You want to clear that hurdle. But in your mind, it's something that you struggle with, and so it becomes more difficult. And I'm sure that's something with Josh. Josh knows he's been bad throwing the deep ball this year. He knows it's been ineffective. He knows he's got a big arm. He knows these things. But I'm sure that's something that weighs on him when it's time to chuck one down the field. So I think it's it's a combination of a lot of things. But if anything, I would say get, get some more air under those balls. Give, get a little bit better arc on it. Give your guys a chance to settle under it and track it. And number two, loosen up. Loosen up. Put it out there. Give your guys a chance. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's something I'm you know, he probably talks about all the time. And so – He's got to he's got to have to clear that hurdle and, and starting to get his confidence in that those types of throws. I think will help him a lot too. Adam says two questions: Why don't the Bills run screens or draws? Well, we kind of talked about that. They're just bad at it. That's simply put. They're they're not, it's not an effective play. And so I think when you when you self reflect on what your team does well and doesn't do well, you don't run screens and draws very well. And so you're not going to keep calling them because they're ineffective. Uh, hopefully that's something that improves next year. Adam then goes on to say, um, number two, the RPO handoff to Singletary takes so long to set up. Why do you think they keep running it when it gets swallowed up so many times? Give it to Singletary and let him run. Well, the RPO is a, is a staple play in good offenses. I think you got to run it, and you got to run it effectively. I've commented a few times on this show that the Bills are a little bit sloppy at the mesh point, a lot more than you'd expect at this point in the season. And part of really selling an RPO, to be honest with you, is leaving that ball in the chest of that that running back for as long as possible before you pull it and, and rip it and get it over the middle of the field. So, I mean, it's a really difficult play to defend. And when you kind of hold it there and you have that elongated mesh, it puts those linebackers in a bind because they don't know if they need to keep sinking and, and play coverage or if they need to get downhill and attack the run. So, you know, it's supposed to look like that. Um, and there's been some very big-time plays the Bills have made off of RPO this year uh, as both when it's been a throw or a, or a run. So I think that looks the way it's supposed to. I think sometimes it looks a little sloppier, and they can certainly clean it up, but I think it's a staple play that any good NFL offense in today's NFL has to have. Next one from Ben, who says, Hi, Joe, just finished up. Today's Locked On Bills podcast. Great as always. Thank you. I know Twitter Tuesday is over, but one question got me thinking, and I would like to know your thoughts. and your opinion, what are the chances someone from the Bills front office gets poached? Morgan, Shane, etc. I think it's something you got to think about. The teams, it's a copycat league, right? They're going to want to see, uh, they're going to look and see what the Bills have done in three seasons under Bean and McDermott, two playoff appearances, at least 10 wins this year. The player development, the success drafting, the good free agent signings, and they're going to want pieces from that to go to their organization and replicate it. <laughs> let that sink in, right? <laughs> like, let that sink in. That's not stuff we've talked about with the Bills over the last 20 years, but here we are. Um, so, yeah, I think you've identified two play or two guys 
and Dan Morgan and Joe Shane that I think are you know on track to be general managers. Um, Shane, the assistant general manager to Brandon Bean. I'll tell you, every time I'm in a college football press box, it feels like I see Brandon Bean and Joe Shane together. Those guys are always joined at the hip. So I think that'd be a big loss for the Bills because of how closely those guys work together and bounce ideas off of each other and really work to massage the roster and evaluate talent. And then Dan Morgan, a rising star in the industry, uh, what he's been able to do with Seattle. Think about you know he's what he does on on the um, on the pro side in terms of scouting. And you look at the Bills' free agent class from last year, and you think, wow, a lot of that's probably because of Dan Morgan. And so he's a guy that I think people view as a potential general manager down the line, a guy that maybe gets plucked to be you know uh, an assistant general manager somewhere. So uh, those are two guys that I think will get opportunities. And then let's not forget that. Lake Dawson has already been receiving general manager interviews. So I think those are the three guys, Dawson, Joe Shane, and uh, Dan Morgan, that could be executives that are plucked from the Bills front office maybe this year, maybe in the future. But those are the guys that you think are future GMs in the league. Uh, Matt says, do you see Belichick and Brady splitting up, or would they ride off into the sunset together? And which would you prefer, an epic collapse by two? Uh, by the two from maybe staying one year too long or a playoff exit and them both hanging it up. Okay, so let's let's deal with each piece of this. Um, do I see Belichick and Brady splitting up? I don't. I don't think I don't think one will continue without the other. I think if if one of them was going to, I think Brady would continue without Belichick. As weird as that sounds. Um I don't yeah, I I think they're gonna I think they're going to go at the same time. I don't know if that's going to be like Super Bowl championship and retire, but I think they're going to be done at the same time. In uh, my preference in terms of an epic collapse uh, by staying a, t- a year too long or an early playoff exit and then both hanging it up, whatever it takes. You know, whatever it takes to get those guys out of New England and for the Patriots to get a little taste of what it's like to be a normal franchise. Whatever it takes. I, I, I guess... <sighs> Their legacies are cemented, right? No matter what happens, if they have an early playoff exit or an epic collapse, we're not going to forget this run. You know, you're no matter what, you're going to say Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. No matter what happens, the rest of their career. So, <laughs> whatever it takes to get them out. Uh, Tony says, "Love the pod, Joe. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to your family." Thank you, Tony, and same to you. Uh, two questions here: Why can no one contain Edelman? Uh, well, let's be honest. Edelman's a good football player. And um, he caught, what, I think five passes for 75 yards against the Bills. Um, yeah, 72 yards. Uh, three out of four against Taron Johnson. Uh, he gave up uh, – one completion was given up by Micah Hyde. One was given up by Tremaine Edmonds. And he got a lot of yards after catch. He got uh, – I think 21 of his 72 yards came after the catch. So another player the Bills couldn't tackle. Why can't no one contain him? I mean, he's a good football player. He's one of the best slot receivers in the game. He knows how to get open. and He's on the same page with Tom Brady. I mean, he's that that's going to happen. And so um, the Bills have done better jobs in the past of dealing with him, but he's always been a pain in the ass. I mean, this isn't new. So I think he's just a challenging player to defend. And so – you know, Taron Johnson, the Bills' starting slot corner, we've not really been concerned with him all year. He struggled against Edelman, but a lot of people do. Um, I think part of Saturday 
I mean, he was banged up a lot going into this game. I mean, you watch some practice clips and stuff from the Patriots last week, the guy couldn't move. And so maybe there was some thought that he wasn't anywhere near 100%, and so you can maybe get away with not paying that much attention to him. Well, the Bills were wrong, and that's me speculating, right? I don't have the answer, Um, but I I think that could have played into it. Uh, I thought the Bills got a little bit better at times uh, defending Edelman, but yeah, I mean, just he was a matchup problem, and he won a lot of matchups. He six targets, five receptions, seventy-two yards, twenty-one after the catch. Three of his receptions went for first downs. Good player. Second part from Tony was: Would you play uh, them or rest the starters in Week Seventeen? I feel like Josh would benefit from it, but fear injury concerns. I would rest as many players as possible. Um, get your mind right on the Chiefs or Texans, whoever the Bills play. Doesn't matter what happens with the Jets game. What will matter is if the Bills sustain a big injury that impacts them in the playoffs. Uh, there's no amount of reps at this point in the season. Six, you know, they played 15 games. They've been working on this thing for however many months. There's nothing that's going to benefit by playing very meaningful starters. Now, some of them are going to have to play because everyone can't sit. But um, yeah, I, I I'm for keeping those guys not only fresh and healthy for the playoffs, but not injured because you wanted to get a few extra reps against the Jets. Uh, John says, of all the running back prospects in this year's draft class, which do you prefer as the best pairing with Devin Singletary? I really think we could use a game-breaker speedster or would a big body between the tackles runner complements Singletary's skill set? Thanks for your hard work and go Bills. You know, the the thing about that is it's going to come to, like, where are the Bills going to be comfortable drafting a running back? If they want to go with a running back early, I mean, you look at Travis Etienne from Clemson, who's got unbelievable acceleration. That would be that home run big play threat alongside Devin Singletary. If you want to go early and you want a between-the-tackles banger that can also catch the football, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State really stands out. Cam Akers from Florida State, if you're looking second, third-round type running backs. If you're looking day three and you want a, a, a pass-catcher explosive home run threat, Anthony McFarland from Maryland's a, a name that I like a lot. Uh, if you're looking for more of a banger between the tackles around the fourth round, I think about Eno Benjamin and uh, from Arizona State and Zach Moss. So if you're looking, you know, midday three, Michael Pirine from from Florida's a versatile big-bodied back. So the, the good things about running backs is I don't think it's going to be hard to find one. It's about, okay, well, when are you comfortable drafting one? You know, like at what point do you feel like it's the appropriate time to get a backup running back that complements Devin Singletary. When you have big needs at potentially at guard, potentially at defensive tackle, pass rusher, you want that big-bodied receiver, maybe cornerback too. It's it's one of those deals where I, I don't know that the value is going to be there early, and so you know we'll be looking towards some guys on day three, guys like I mentioned there with uh, Keelan Hill maybe from Mississippi State or Michael Pirine from Florida. Um I just don't know that the Bills should invest early in the draft on a running back unless you're just absolutely convinced that the thing that the offense needs to to go to the next level is that, that compliment to uh, Devin. Next one here comes from Eric who says, I've been thinking back to Vic Beasley's breakout year with Atlanta in 2015. I remember reading that his pressure to sack total was inflated and that he was due to a regression to the mean. That seems to have happened, and it makes me wonder, where do you see the Bills regressing? Maybe not 
to the average of a stat, but where could they regress and what do you think they need to do to in order to remain an annual playoff contender? Uh, the big thing that really stands out to me is the defensive line. Um, you need to have playmakers. You need to have dudes, guys that can get off blocks and make plays in the backfield and really pressure quarterbacks and make life difficult for running backs. And I think the Bills just don't have enough of those guys. I mean, I love Ed Oliver, and I think he's going to be one of those guys. He's flashed that this year. You think about Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, what those two guys have been able to do this year. And those guys are both free agents. And so you got Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy. Neither one of those two guys are really big-time playmakers when it comes to really finishing and getting into the backfield and making plays behind the line of scrimmage. They haven't really been that guy this year, and they're both aging. And so – you know, Star Latula is a very expensive run defender, and he he actually made a few plays this year, but at the end of the day, he's a run stuffer. And so, you know, I, I think the Bills need to continue to invest on the defensive line, both interior and that defensive end, and get guys that can beat blocks, finish in the backfield. And that's going to be the difference between the defense being consistently elite or being a really good defense that's tough to score on, but at the end of the day, they just don't make enough game-changing plays. And so... That's where I want to see the Bills continue to invest heavily. I think that's where defense is one up front in the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, it's it's makes a defense better, and it makes it really, really difficult for opposing offensive lines. I mean, if, if when I think about an opponent, nothing would make me more nervous than knowing that they have tons of really good defensive linemen that can get after my my playmakers. And, and so that's, to me, that's the one area where I don't know that the Bills are deep enough or talented enough right now um, and that could be the one thing that can put them over the edge. And if they don't get those types of players, that it's going to leave a void on this roster. And we'll see that defense regress because they, you know, they're not doing enough up front to affect quarterbacks and make plays in the backfield and create negative plays. Andrew says Edelman had his way with us for the most part on Saturday. If you could take out Burkhead and Edelman like the Pats did with Brown and Singletary, we win the game. The idea of Trey White shutting down Edelman if we play them again in the playoffs sounds great, but could you explain why shutdown cornerbacks don't follow players into the slot? And if we do play the Pats again in this year, how can we go about shutting down Edelman better? Um, so, yeah, that's a good point. You don't normally see uh, you know, the number one corners play as much in the slot, and so I have some numbers here for you on Trey White. Against the Patriots, he played seven reps in the slot he played 61 at outside corner. Uh, so far this season, he's played 38 snaps total on the year at slot corner and 834 at wide corner. And so I, I, it's a different game, you know, especially when it's a zone-heavy offense or zone-heavy defense where Trey's playing a lot of deep thirds. Um, it's a different game than playing on, on in the slot. Your run fits are different. You know, your keys are different. And so – you know, you probably ask yourself, well, we can move Trey White to the slot situationally, but then it weakens us in other spots and it maybe makes us a little bit uh, less stout in terms of run fits and understanding our, our keys. So it's just a really different position. And I think if you if you game plan for it and you say, yeah, you know, we're going to play you more in the slot this week and this is the stuff that's important, then that goes into it. But I don't think the Bills really went into this game and thought about that as, as a possibility. But, you know, it's one of those deals where, I think they have to do a better job against Edelman, right? I mean, if the Bills play them again, I know that the Bill that you know Belichick's going to know that Edelman was a problem for the Bills on Saturday, and uh, 
prove that they can stop them. And, and so the Bills will have to come up with some answers. That could be bracketing uh, Edelman a bit more and playing more man coverage everywhere else. Um, but the Bills have an exceptional secondary, a very good scheme on the back end, and, and I trust that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott can come up with those answers. Um, I, I almost feel like there could have been something taken for granted with Edelman's health in this game. I thought they can get away with kind of just leaving Taron on him, and I don't think it worked. All right, next one here comes from Jake, who says, uh, I'm not here to claim the Bills were better than the Patriots on Saturday as the Patriots firmly controlled the line of scrimmage for the entire game. I don't care if you call it sour grapes or complaining, but I would like to comment. Uh, I would like you to comment on each of these referee moments in a vacuum during the game. One, the missed intentional grounding on Brady. I absolutely agree with you. They said 34 was in the area. He wasn't anywhere near the area. Tom Brady was inside the pocket. It didn't get beyond the line of scrimmage. It was nowhere near a target. That should have been intentional grounding. The missed face mask on Josh Allen. Yeah, missed call. Got to give it to him. Uh, that's a 15-yard play that the Bills deserve to have. It was a blatant, obvious, egregious face mask uh, that should be called all day long. And uh, that cost the Bills field position, and it cr- creates a different dynamic there for the end of the game. Number three was the horrendous spot on the fourth and one play. And then you happen to watch the spot on the previous play as well. That one was horse crap. If you have time, have time please rewatch it. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I thought Sean McDermott had an opportunity there to challenge it. Um, at the time, I was very upset that he didn't challenge it. When the Bills needed that timeout to prevent the 10-second runoff uh, on the Dawson Knox play before the half, I was very glad that the uh, that the that the timeout was still available for them. But, uh, yeah, I think that was – it shouldn't have to come to a challenge. Just get the spot right. And I think Michelle was done – was down uh, at least a half yard short of the line to gain. Number four was every time the Patriots kicked the ball or moved the ball before it spotted, they should be called for either delay of game or unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah, it does seem like that happens quite a bit with the Patriots. I'll agree with you there. And number five was not sure how, uh, but it, it but it was called pass interference on Trey White when they don't call pass interference when Gilmore was interfering with Brown later in the game. Gilmore's arm was completely around Brown's waist. Yeah, I mean, I know those are judgment calls, and I don't know specifically which play you're referring to there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a poorly officiated game. Uh, with some, you know, at least those first three, especially the misintentional grounding, the face mask, and that spot on the on the fourth and one. I think those three really stand out to me as, yep, they got that wrong and it affected the Bills' ability to win the game. All right, next one here comes from Doug, who says, I discovered Lockdown Bills around week four of the season. Haven't missed an episode since. Thank you, Doug. I love it. I also tune into Draft Dudes uh, on a daily basis. And so thank you, Doug. I, I, if you guys don't know, I, I do locked on bills every day, as you do know, if you're listening to this right now, but I also have a daily NFL draft podcast called draft dudes. And so if you want to hear another half hour or so a day of me talking football, but not necessarily the bills, you can do so by checking out the draft dudes podcast. Uh, Doug goes on to say, I recently read, uh, Pat Kerwin's book, take your eye off the ball. And it was given, it's given me a better foundation to watching NFL games. Are there any other resources you would recommend to fans who want to watch the game at a higher level? Thanks and go Bills. Uh, so yes, uh, take take your eye off the ball. Uh, they have and there's two of them, one 1.0 and 2.0. You should read them both. Those are both very good. Others that I like that I think are very good for exactly what you're talking about in terms of being able to have a, a greater understanding of what you're watching on Sundays. Uh, Chris Brown has a a series called Smart Football. 
I think there's two or three books in that series. They're easy to read. Um, and I like that. Like you'll, you'll read them and, and the chapters are very specific. And so you feel like you gain a lot of information. It's kind of jam packed in there. It's a really good series. Football, it's called smart football by Chris Brown. Uh, I really like Doug Farrar's book, the genius of desperation. It does a really good job of talking about scheme evolution, uh, offensively and how certain things came to be and why they exist and what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, take your eye off the ball. Uh, from Pat Kerwin, you mentioned that already. There's two books in that series I recommend. Uh, there's a good book by Paul Zimmerman called The Thinking Man's Guide to Pro Football. Uh, the Perfect Pass by S.G. or S.C. Gwynn. I uh, read that recently over the summer. Uh, it's Details Hal Mum, who is the creator of the Air Raid offense. And to kind of get an understanding of how football has evolved from this burly game of pounding the football to, you know, spread offense and air raid and the concepts in there and why it's important and how it evolved and the resistance it received. I absolutely love that. And then Gridiron Genius by Michael Lombardi is another good one. Next one here comes from Bo, who says, Love the podcast. This Sunday I'm traveling from Virginia to see the game with my son. This will be his first game ever and my first in 20 years. I so wanted to see the Bills win not only to beat the Pats, but so they would need to put on a good game this coming weekend and not full of second stringers. I love that pass to Dawkins for the touchdown. Expected to see a couple of -of out-of-the-box plays in the red zone on that final drive. Do you think we should have done more abnormal plays at the end? It's a tough question, right? Like, you can think about trick plays, and you you think about that uh, touchdown pass that John Brown threw. And that was an exciting moment. I think that was in the Dallas game. Uh, you think about that play to Deion Dawkins. And then you think about that play where Frank Frank Gore uh, was going to throw the football and he bounced it off tackle and it winds up being a tackle for like a six-yard loss. So that's the thing about trick plays is that, man, when they work, they're beautiful. When they don't work, you have a huge negative play. And I just don't know that specifically at the end of the Patriots game that the Bills could afford – having a big negative play. Um, and so they kind of stuck with their normal stuff and they had a chance. And, um, you know, to me, they had multiple chances and Josh Allen hits that throw to Dawson Knox. The game's at least tied. Um, and we're maybe having a different conversation right now. So I, I'm not against trick plays. They've been meaningful in big games in football for a long time. They've been meaningful for the bills at point at certain times this year. For other teams this year, um, but I, I understand the value proposition and the risk associated with with calling them. Uh, Danny, here we go. Danny's got some some notes here for us. Um, starts off. Did you notice Josh Allen throwing completely differently? He took a ton of velocity off of eighty percent of his throws. I honestly thought he looked great, and I was shocked to see only fifty percent completion from this game. Our offense was unfortunately inconsistent. We didn't allow Josh to get into rhythm at all early in the game. We ran the ball multiple times early in the game and didn't trust Josh to make plays. This is very frustrating. Uh, So I'll pause it there. Um, I think Josh has done a good job all season, to be completely honest with you, uh, taking velocity off throws. I think he's shown good touch at multiple points this season. And and last year he was really just driving and hammering the football in there all the time. This year I thought his touch – has been extremely better, uh, and I thought so. The Patriots, to me, that was just kind of par for the course from what we've seen from Josh all year. Uh, you mentioned running the ball early and not giving Josh a chance to make plays. I would argue that the first three plays or the first three drives of the game ended 
and incompletions that Josh Allen missed the throw to an open target. The first series was the Dawson Knox uh, play where he didn't give him a chance to make the catch. That should have been a touchdown. And then two plays to Cole Beasley, one over the middle of the field where he was wide open, and the other was towards the right sideline where Josh was late and inside with the throw. So Josh had his chance to get in rhythm. He missed all three of the throws, and the Bills wind up punting all three drives. Or, well, kicked the field goal and then two punts. Uh, Danny goes on to say, why did we never blitz on defense? Our front four almost never gets pressure. I honestly feel like you don't talk about this enough. 70% of our sacks have come uh, from the blitz this year. The other 30% have come when the quarterback holds the ball over four seconds. Brady has been awful against the blitz the last five weeks, so why did we decide to not send pressure? Also, why was Trey White on Harry all game, the inconsistent rookie? Why wasn't he put on Edelman? I honestly feel like we handed this game to the stupid Patriots. I don't know that those I don't I don't recognize the numbers that you gave. Uh, you had mentioned that um, seventy percent of the sacks come from the blitz and thirty percent are when the quarterback holds the ball over four seconds. I'm not sure where to get those numbers. I'm not familiar with those. Um, I, I I would say that doesn't line up with what I think I, I've seen when I've watched the team play this year. But uh, if you have numbers, I'd like to know where you got them so I can understand them a little bit better. Uh, the Bills did blitz, so we talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, the Bills blitzed 27% of the time, nine times in uh, 35 dropbacks, which is very close to their season averages. Uh, so I didn't have much uh, of an issue with that. As far as Trey White being matched up in an kill Harry, uh, there was never a play in the game where Tredavious White was guarding Inkill Harry and he was targeted. So um, when I look at the spreads uh, for Inkill Harry in the game, it looks like he was targeted twice. One time Kevin Johnson was covering him. One time Matt Milano was covering him. So I'm not exactly sure how often that matchup happened. I think Trey White was probably on Mohamed Sanu a lot. And he played a lot just there on the left side of the formation where he's actually at his best. Uh, let's see here. Uh, in terms of overall, um, you said, the, why did the Bills never blitz on defense? The Bills uh, blitz with the 10th most frequency in the NFL. Uh, they're 31.5% on the season blitzing, which is in the top 10. So the Bills do blitz a lot. So I'm not sure why you would say that we never blitz on defense. So um I think I've addressed why we never blitz. We do 31 and percent, the 10th most in the NFL. Uh, I don't know where these stats come from about 70% of the sacks coming against the blitz 30% when the quarterback holds the ball over four seconds. Um, and that the bills didn't send pressure. The bills did send pressure nine blitzes in 35 dropbacks is on par with the season average. And then I don't think Trey white was on Harry all game. He wasn't on Harry all game. Uh, Danny goes on to say, also at the end of the game, why didn't we use our last timeout before we ran that fourth down play? You have to imagine we can come up with a better play call. What a disappointing loss this was. It's one thing if we're outplayed, but it honestly felt like we were out-schemed. Not that the scheme was great, but our scheme sucked. Your thoughts? Uh, I, I kind of think it's this game was really a fundamentals game, blocking and tackling. Patriots blocked and tackled way better than the Bills blocked and tackled. And we can point to some missed throws by Josh Allen, and we can um, say maybe different play calls could have happened or whatnot, but this game came down to blocking and tackling. The Patriots did it way better than the Bills. 
Last one today comes from Tyler, who says, you briefly mentioned Christian Wade on Twitter Tuesday last week, and it reminded me he was stashed on the practice squad. After a flash of big playmaking ability, plenty of people had high hopes on him making the team, but when he didn't, the hope was that he can learn football on the practice squad. He has the athletic ability, but he has, has he made any significant strides in understanding the game? Appreciate the question, Tyler. I think my uh, my knowledge base of Christian Wade uh, stopped once we stopped the preseason. You know, I haven't I haven't heard anything about how he's coming along. I haven't seen anything written on that. Haven't seen anybody asked about it. Um, it's it's kind of been weirdly quiet. So that was such a big story in preseason, and then it kind of went away. Um, so hopefully we can get some insight on that at some point. Maybe after the season, Sean will be asked about it or Brandon Bean will be asked about it. Uh, keep in mind that next year, the exact same scenario the Bills had with Christian Wade with the 11-man practice squad and all those variables, they're all in play again next year. So the Bills could do exactly what they did this year with Christian Wade next year. So there's no guarantee that um, we're not in the same spot next year. So I have no idea how he's learning the game, uh, and I certainly hope that maybe somebody will ask about that. That way we can get some some details on, on where he's at, but no, I, Tyler, I hadn't heard anything, um, on his progress. So I, I can't really comment on there, but I'm, I'm curious as well, to be completely honest with you. That's going to do it for us today here on this Twitter Tuesday. As a reminder, I'm going to take the next two days off with Christmas, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, no podcast. So this is, this is the one to kind of carry over a few days and then I'll be back on Friday. We'll get ready uh, for this Jets game the best we can, uh, based on our understanding of what the Bills' plan is going to be. So hopefully we'll get some details on that over the next few days and we can talk about that game on Friday uh, and get ready for Week 17. And then it's playoffs. It's going to be playoff football. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get ready like we have every week this season. And so looking forward to uh, learning who the Bills play, when they play, and uh, how they can beat that opponent. So make sure that you are subscribed, share, rate, review the podcast if you get a chance. And of course, Merry Christmas to you and your family. I hope you have a relaxing holiday season that is uh, spent with family and friends. And so I appreciate you uh, giving me your ear today. I'll be back again for you on Friday. Thanks so much for listening.